Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open uh, our eyes to the wonderful things in your law. Uh, Use this text, Lord, uh, to point us to Jesus, to remind us of him. Uh, Use it as a, a lesson to us that even in the Old Testament, your message Uh, of hope and deliverance was one that was to be spread by the people who enjoyed its benefits. And so, Lord, use it today to stir in our hearts a a desire to share good news, a desire to be people who proclaim uh, the benefits that we have received, and let us uh, honor you and do what is right in your sight. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. God has spoken and everything has changed. The word of the prophet uh, in our text and its veracity, the the fact that he proclaimed uh, that things were going to change so dramatically that the the hunger of the city was going to be turned on its head and there would be so much abundance that they could buy tons and tons of food very, very cheaply. That has now become the main focus of our text. God's word has entered the the sinful situation, the cursed situation of the people of God. And now all the the verses that remain show that the word of God is true and that God can be relied upon. The word of the Lord has changed the story. And now at its most basic level, our text simply exists to demonstrate the message of hope declared by the prophet is true. Yahweh is the God of deliverance. Yahweh will save his people. And the writer tries to make this very clear to us uh, with his use of uh, repetition. Uh, We see this both in his prophetic statements repeated, right? His his statement that uh, two seahs of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, right? That part. And then his his statement to the the captain that um, he's going to see it, but he won't partake in it. So his, his utterance in seven run, uh, seven one, where he promises a cheap price for food, is repeated twice, um, in 7.16 and in 7.18. We also see his prophetic word of judgment on the disbelieving captain that he, that he says in 7.2, fulfilled in 7.17. And the whole movement of our text, everything that happens in it, right? So the lepers, the camp, the gate, the palace the road, the report, and the plunder, all of those uh, t- uh, is, is moving the text to this fami- fulfillment formula that, that God's word is true and that he can be relied upon. God highlights for us that he is a gracious God who redeems undeserving people with extravagant promises too good to be true, but are. And that is all that we'll say about the, the second scene, right, the, the, uh, in our Act 2. So scene 2, this is the, the first note that we'll have in today's sermon, is that God is gracious and redeems undeserving people with extravagant promises, too good to be true, but are. Uh, the, the flow of our text, right, is God putting a seal of faithful on the promise that we looked at last week, that God will redeem his people. And so if, if you need to, you weren't here, uh, and uh, I, can't, I don't have time to rehash that whole sermon, but you can go and, and listen to it. Uh, but God is faithful and God is true. 
and we'll spend the rest of our time today looking at the, the first scene, the, this, the scene with the lepers and, and the model of gratitude it offers for how the church of God should respond to the truth that God is gracious and that he redeems undeserving people with extravagant promises too good to be true but are. And so uh, scene one, uh, scene one is uh, a look at victorious lepers heralding good news. That's what sort of happens in this first scene. So if, if you're uh, any movie people, people like watching movies. Yeah, right. I, uh, I love this because it, it, to me it, it, it shoots like a movie. Um, and so... Right, you, you see the you see this encounter with the prophet outside of. I, I imagine Elisha came outside of his door when the when the people come. He like walks outside of his house, and you have this the uh, a prophet who uh, is likely not very wealthy, so he's probably wearing very poor clothes. And then you have like this captain of the guard walking out, like, and he's got men following behind him, and the prophet lips speak. Right, and we have this whole interchange where he's saying, and then the camera begins to pan out of the confrontation. Right, and then you, you see like the city and the wall, and and then uh, uh, the moon is rising in the eastern sky because it's it's starting to get dark, right? Um, and then uh, dust begins to set in on the city of Samaria, and then we fade to black. And then the, you see a shot of the gate; it's dark now, and and of the walled city, and the same moon is in the sky, and you have four figures sitting huddled outside the city walls by the gate. Now, uh, verse 3, 7 verse 3, now there are four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. Uh, the men were living outside the gate in accordance with Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. Uh, that, that says this, it says, The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So lepers were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't be in the presence of God uh, because of uh, the uncleanness that was on them. The leprous men were a sign and symbol in Israel of the deadly disease of sin. Right? They, they were a, a visible representation of that to the, to the people. The torn clothes that they walked around in and their hairstyle and the way that they kept their beard uh, represented symbols of mourning and death. According to the law of Leviticus 13, the lepers were literally dead men walking. They were already dead in, in the eyes of uh, the, the ceremonial laws of cleanness. And we see this in how they talk to each other, right? The, the, the fact that they are dead men walking, uh, the writer brings into our, our consciousness, uh, even if we don't know Leviticus, right? We see that as verse 3 continues. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Right? Death is on their mind. If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come and let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But these dead men encounter the deliverance of God. Right? We, we see that. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, 
there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And so this, this is supposed to uh, sort of shock you. You have four dead men walking into a camp of a huge army. And they have driven the army of the Assyrians away, right? With their, their dead, rotting bodies, right? Because that's what leprosy is, are stumbling into this camp in the, in the dark. And the army, a, a huge army, flees before them. This is supposed to be a picture for us of the promise of God that his people will plunder the camp of their enemies. If you, if you think back to Genesis twenty two sixteen through 18. So uh, this is when Abraham, he's already received the promise of God uh, multiple times. And this is after he uh, goes up on the mountain with his son and uh, the, the God provides a lamb uh, for him. He, he, uh, God uh, speaks to, or a ram, God speaks to Abraham this. He says, by myself I have sworn, this is Genesis twenty two sixteen through 18. Uh, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It was because of this promise that the Hebrews plundered the Egyptians, right, when they left in the Exodus. And it was to demonstrate to us the grace that was to be ours in Christ, right? The promise of Abraham is something that was given to the church, right? We have the promises of Abraham now. Exodus uh, 12, 35 through 36 says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And so the lepers become to us a symbol of victory. They are victorious lepers. And our four lepers become the latest example of the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. Right? And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, carried off things from it and went and hid them. These dead men walking have become the army of the Israelites who plundered the camp of the Philistines right after David killed the champion of Gath. The enemies of God and the people have fled before the mighty Yahweh and before his four unclean and ritually dead men. Church, we are these lepers, right? We are the dead men walking. And like them, we have been declared dead because of our sins, right? Ephesians 2.10, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But, but like them, Jesus has won a great victory on our behalf, 
right? Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, right? Jesus has won a victory for us. And now for us, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, right? They cannot stop us. Matthew 16.18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, so the, the rock here uh, is referring to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the, the son of God. Uh, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the victory promised to Abraham and foreshadowed to us in the plundering of Egypt in the Exodus and, and the Philistines in Samuel and the Syrians in our text today is yours in Christ, right? We can go into the camp of our enemies and take what they have. And so how should we respond? Well, so first, like, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? So, so that means that there is a, uh, that Satan has people bound, right? People, Satan has, has cloaked their eyes to see the good news of the gospel. And it is our job, it is our joy, it is our goal to go into his camp and take those people back. It is, it is our goal, it is our job, but when he has, he has bound people with sin, to go into Satan's camp and to take them back. They are our treasure. They are the, the goal for which we have been called to fight. And they are ours for the taking. We will go and we will plunder the camp of our enemy. And so how should we respond to this truth, right? How how should we respond in knowing that, like, in our own lives, sin will be defeated, right? Sin will be defeated. That, That there are people out in the world who we can speak the truth of the gospel to, and we can take them, snatch them from death, and bring them into life. How should we respond? How should we live in gratitude to this truth? And there are three, uh, three ways, and, and uh, they're associated with, with three different psalms in my mind. So we're going to read three psalms and look at these three different ways. The, the first is to praise God for his victory, right? Praise God for his victory. We should offer worship continually and in every circumstance to the Lord. Uh, for this, I have Psalm 146, and, and listen uh, to what God says in Psalm 146. He says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets his prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. 
And so when we call upon God for, or sorry, when we praise God for his victory, we work against the default of our hearts that want to grumble and complain. Uh, uh, We work against the wants of our heart that that sees what others have and and wants it for ourselves, that covets, um, that makes demands upon God that our life uh, should be a certain way or that this or that should not have happened or should have happened. Right? Gratitude fights against all those urges within us that, that, that seeks our desires and place them above what God has for us. And instead, we should live in gratitude for all that God has given to us and to you in Christ. So uh, the first thing is to uh, praise God for his victory. The, the, the second is to call upon God for his victory. Um, this world is difficult. It's difficult to live in sometimes. Uh, it's good. In many ways, it's very, very, very good. Um, but in other ways, it, it can be difficult, right? We, we have to ask for his help over sin or over situations, for aid against our enemies or for sustaining grace in our weaknesses. And for that, we have uh, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Um, that's crazy, <laughs> right? It, uh, I've been in some uh, earthquakes, and they are terrifying. <laughs> uh, they are terrifying when you like freeways just collapse, right, and fall, right. That is. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, so that happened. Uh, in the 90s, while I was alive, because um, I'm a little bit older, uh, but not that old. I'm young old. Um, I'm an old young. I'm an old young person. Um, so it's terrifying. But therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Right? Uh, that's uh, crazy. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. But God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So uh, Psalm 46 continues in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. I I think of heaven at at this point. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. If you are in Christ, you will face opposition. Uh, John 15, 20, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 12, they, they, they promise us this. The devil will seek to kill you. The world will oppose you. Your flesh will rebel against the law of God. Let God be your very present help in time of trouble. And be still 
and know that he is God. Call upon the Lord for his victory and be saved. The third thing is to walk with God in his victory. Uh, Faithfully, obediently, walk with God in the victory he's won. Psalm 44, 1 through 8. Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did they their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have continually boasted and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Many times you will look about you and it will seem as though you have to save yourself. Uh, You have to get your own wealth, your own power, your own companionship, your own family, your own worth, your own satisfaction, your own gratification, your own place, your own safety, your own comfort, your own health, your own life, your own victory. But the truth of Exodus 14.14 is as much for you as it is for the terrified Hebrews caught between the water and the army of Egypt. The Lord, Exodus 14, 14 says, will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Would you step out in faith and faithfulness with God today? Would you call upon him to save you? Would you let him work his victory while you stand with him in silence? Now, uh, I, I, I want to take a little aside to talk about community here because I want to be crystal clear about something. When I say things like praise God, right, or call upon God or walk with God, you might assume that I'm saying you should do it all individually, right, privately, uh, in your own hearts. And yes, I mean that, right? You should do that individually, privately. But I also mean when I say praise God and call upon God and walk with God, I also mean communally, right? And and, uh, publicly, like out loud, with other people. So um, when we face hard times, times when it's difficult to praise God, we should in our hearts confess that difficulty and our sinfulness to God that we don't want to praise him and, and that we're failing to praise him. And we should work toward praising him, right? Like that's what we should do in our heart of hearts. Um, but uh, we should also expose that part of our hearts to others. Uh, we should show it to our fellow believers. Um, we should persist in praising God in our conversations with others, uh, in our congregational gatherings, in our singing, in our private converse, or conversations with other people, um, even when it's hard for us. Um, because sometimes it's in that, that communal aspect that we grow, that we learn, that we uh, face sort of the darkness in ourselves. And if we just leave it, In our own hearts, uh, sometimes uh, we fail to deal with it appropriately. Uh, Another way, uh, when we find ourselves in need of deliverance, right? Be it from sin or situation, we should in our hearts cry out to God and look to him as our source of rescue, right? 
definitely we should do that. We should also share our sins and our situations with fellow believers. We should also seek their aid as one of God's appointed means of burden bearing and help finding. Right? Other people are around us for a reason. As the path of victory becomes difficult, uh, we should, in our hearts, commit to walking in obedience to Jesus. And in our hearts, rest in his finished work on the cross. We should also share our commitments and our path with fellow believers who can walk with us on the journey. Who can support us with their prayers and with their love and with their presence. All of what I said had individual and communal private and public implications on our life. And I just wanted to to make that explicit here. So uh, now we've seen that the the lepers have been victorious. Now we're going to see how they become heralds, the heralding lepers. As the four lepers are enjoying the the victorious, the glorious victory uh, the Lord has won, they realize something about how they are enjoying the victory, right? They've just gone in and plundered their enemies. Verse 9, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. The lepers, the dead men walking have become keenly aware that the victory they are enjoying over their enemies is to be shared. It's to be shared. The victory of God needs to be shared. This is a day of good news. Look how they frame what's going on. This is a day of good news, right? This is a day of good news. You too live in a day of good news, right? Uh, Jesus, the God-man who lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, rose again for the life of his people, and ascended to heaven to prepare a place for his family to dwell. That Jesus, he freely offers today all of his benefits to all who would repent of their sins and to all who believe the good news that what he did, he did for them. That's available today. Romans 10:13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We live in a world full of darkness. We live in a world cursed. We live in a world doomed for destruction. We live in a world of enemies, of oppression, and of death. The world is Samaria under siege and each and every Christian Right. All of the baptized believers who, you know, as we go into the water, right, that signifies that we died with Christ and that the destruction of the waters covers our sins and washes us clean because Christ died on a cross for our sins. And then our our rising out of the water, right, demonstrates that our life is hidden with Christ in God and that we rose out of the water with him and the life that that he now lives, uh, we live with him. And that we will one day rise from the dead and be with him always. This is good news to share, right? This is excellent news. This is the news that has changed your life forever. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent, um, 
I have too often been silent with this good news. The world around me is starving on the worthless food of sin, and I am silent. This is a day of good news, and I don't share. I don't announce it. I don't proclaim it. I can see the dark shapes of the city on the horizon. And I huddle with the other lepers who have plundered our enemies. And, and let's say together, like all of us, right, all the dead men, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent. Church, what I do when I am silent, what you do when you are silent is not right. We are being silent when today is a day of good news. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news if we are silent. Notice too how this is something the four lepers come together and do together. Right? They say it to each other. It is private in the sense that they, they understand what's going on in their heart, that they're not doing right. But then it becomes communal immediately for these four lepers. They all recognize that there is a common problem that they are all facing. They've all tasted God's victory. They all know that the city is perishing. And they all are being silent. So they get together and they make a decision together. They confess their failure together. They own their weakness together. And I think we need to do something similar. Would you join me in, uh, there's three commitments that uh, I I think uh, rise up from this text, at at least as I was thinking about it and and praying through it, um, that uh, as, as dead men walking who have tasted God's victory, that I think would be good for us all to uh, commit with each other to. The the first is this. Commit to speaking about spiritual things. Uh, Pretty low, uh, low barrier of entry. Even if it's just with other Christians, share your heart. Share it. Um, When someone asks you a question, like, hey, how are you doing? Don't say fine anymore. Like, really answer the question. I, I know um, you don't have to do that with everybody, right? Like, you don't have to do it all the time. Um, there are times when it's probably smarter uh, to do it. But work up to being comfortable to share deeply, quickly, right? Work, work up. Work up that muscle. Work up your emotional energy. Work up uh, your ability to cut to the heart of something quickly uh, because that is it's a learned skill. Um, it doesn't come easily to everyone. And it's something that most of us probably, unless we have the gift of evangelism and can just get right to the chase with people, uh, it's something we all have to learn. And so uh, commit in the safe times with a friend or um, somebody that you know, a spouse, somebody that you've grown up with, right, uh, to start and then progressively work out to more and more people, right, people that you don't know or uh, that you don't have a connection with. Uh, be smart, but take risks, right? Be a little bit uh, dangerous and, and share your heart with someone. Be someone who speaks about spiritual things. So that's the first commitment. Uh, the, the second commitment is this, and uh, most, uh, maybe many of you uh, already have this one sort of like sorted. Um, 
But it's order your life to be around people who need to hear the good news. Um, This one is definitely harder for some of us than it is for others. Uh, Those of uh, us who work in secular employment, which is a healthy portion of of the church, um, this one's a little bit easier, right? You get to rub shoulders with people who need uh, to hear the good news every day. Like I spend hours and hours and hours with coworkers. Um, and so it's a, a great opportunity to get to know them, to talk to them, um, where appropriate, obviously. Um, and we don't have to do ju- uh, much ordering. We just have to open our mouths, right? We just have to speak. We just have to get to the habit where we can feel safe to share spiritual things with, with people who we uh, talk to. And open your eyes for the opportunity, right? I'm sure there's many of opportunities that if my eyes were more open, I would take more chances. I would, I would take more risks. I would do more. Um, for others, it will be more difficult and totally recognize that. Um, and I urge all of us, right, uh, whether it's something small, but find ways to be around people and develop friendships with people who need to hear the good news. Find a club, right? Find a hobby, Find uh, a way to, uh, a source of entertainment. Find a neighborly activity, um, right? You could start a bonfire every Friday or something, I, you know, in your neighborhood. Um, there are tons of ways um, to, to get around people who need to hear. And I would just encourage you uh, to order your life, like set a goal, make a plan so that uh, it doesn't just become something that you forget about or doesn't happen. And then the last thing is speak the good news out loud as often as you can, right? So this is with yourself, right? With the people at your dinner table, uh, the people who you uh, go to community group with, like as often as you can, as regular as you can, share the message, share your hope, share how the gospel is affecting your life uh, as uh, often as you can. And I think if we're being faithful about speaking about spiritual things, about ordering our life um, around being around people who need to hear the good news, um, you will grow in your comfortability with exposing what was before personal and private and making it public and communal. Um, and we will begin to speak the good news out loud more because it ma- I know it matters to your heart, right? I know it does. And so as you get comfortable sharing the, the deepest things of your heart with others, uh, this will become easier for you because you have tasted God's victory and you will feel compelled to share. You will feel compelled to share. And so, Lord, uh, help us be like these four lepers, right? And the, the, the four gospel writers, right? I, I don't think there's four lepers for no reason, It's just not a magical number. I I think it's akin to the Old Testament looking forward and saying, hey, like there will be four gospel writers. Um, And let us seek to share the good news with the city and the people who are desperate to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, um, the the next sort of part, right, the the lep, I'm just going to skip the reading of it. The lepers come to the city gate. uh, They make the message. And then there's people who doubt, Right. There's always going to be people who doubt. Uh, there's going to be people who think the news is too good to be true. Uh, there's going to be people who flat out reject the message. Um, and th- there will be some uh, who like, there's a servant, right? Um, so the king is like totally skeptical. 
he thinks it's a trap because there, there were traps like this all over the Old Testament. They would always like lure the people out of the city and then somebody would like sneak in behind them and burn the city down and then they, they'd destroy the army. Happened all the time. Like it's all over the Old Testament. Um, and so the king's thinking that that's going to happen. But um, there may be others who want to investigate the truth of your claims. Just like uh, the king's servant in verse 13. One of his servants said, let us take five men... Uh, take some men uh, of the remaining and take five of the remaining horses and investigate. That's what he wants to do. And so my encouragement to us um, is that some will believe. Some will believe as we step out in faith and share the gospel. Some will believe. It might not be the first. It might not be the second. It might not be the tenth. It might not be the hundredth. Right, But just imagine if you can announce good news to just one person in your lifetime and they believe. Just one. Just one person who you, whose life you can save for all of eternity. You, leper that you are, right? you're standing at the gate of Samaria with all the strength of your voice. You're crying out, the city is saved. Yahweh has done it. Jesus is king. Our enemy is defeated. Come and plunder. Right? That's what you're crawling out. And just one head pokes out from behind the gate. One life doomed for destruction leaves the walls of the city of despair. One soul heeds and escapes. How long will you wait for that one? What sort of long-suffering of patience, of perseverance, of persistence will you call upon the Lord for? How long will you wait for the Lord to save even just one? Luke 15, 3 through 10 has this promise to us to help motivate us, to help fuel us with fire to persist. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. There's joy in heaven. How long will you wait and work and shout and proclaim for just one sinner? Let's pray.